Welcome to uh, episode number 66 of the Stick to Hockey podcast. Russ, I think it's pretty easy to determine who this episode should be in honor of. Well, it's interesting because when, like, local sports radio does, like, greatest athletes in Pennsylvania, oddly enough, they never mention this guy. And he was the greatest athlete in Pennsylvania. Like, nobody comes close. Yeah, who would have been like who would be like the top three? I mean, we're talking about Mario Lemieux, obviously, but yes, I mean, who who could even come into that same kind of category of, you know, six? I mean, Mike Schmidt at one point. Schmidt, Doctor J. Yeah, I, I would probably bring in Jim Thorpe. I always have this big argument with Paul Jolovitz that Jim Thorpe is the greatest athlete ever. And I thought and he, he was just a rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike. No, no, no. <laughs> I kid, of course. I know. And he played at Lehigh. And and there's this one story, which is definitely true because it was written in the newspapers. And Jalowitz kind of, he bristles at it. But he basically punted the ball and downed his, and, and retrieved his own punt because he hit it so high in the air and it had that much hang time. And he was a track star. And I do believe you're capable of doing that if you're that kind of human and he was and he was like a pro athlete and everything yeah well this is the 66th episode of the stick to hockey podcast that's russ cohen you can find him on twitter at sportsology you can find his website sportsology.com you can also find uh russ right here on the stick to hockey podcast and some other assorted ones around the country um i'm jason martinez and real quick before we get into everything i want to get into some stuff with mario lemieux oddly enough um, but thanks to everybody for all the kind words and everything. Um, and if you didn't hear, my mom obviously passed away. Um, and everybody's been, you know, been great to me and I really appreciate it. Um, it wasn't unexpected. It was expected. She was very sick. So, um, but the other part of it is too, as I'm back to work, um, I can finally be transparent on what I'm doing. I am going to be doing the radio broadcast once again for the Flyers, just like I was doing it before, just not employed by said radio station. Right. Um, and then also there's going to be a lot of other things that I'll announce in the next couple of weeks regarding um, my duties with the Philadelphia Flyers. And a lot of that will be a lot of content creation and a lot of uh, digital um, content for the Philadelphia Flyers, all of which I hope everybody checks out, likes, right. loves, and follows along with. So it's very cool stuff. That's awesome. I mean, look, you're, you're the best guy doing that broadcast. No offense to Brian Smith or Joe Torte or anybody else who filled in. That short gap, but when I would listen, it wasn't the same. That's it. That's my statement. I appreciate that. You stand by it. Damn it. I do. <laughs> um, real quick, since we're on episode 66 of the Stick to Hockey Podcast, I like looking back at some of the numbers from some of the great players when we get an occasion to do it like this. Um, Mario Lemieux, uh, first overall pick in the 1984 draft, um, came in in his first year at 84-85, Russ, played 73 games. Yeah, he only netted 43 goals and 57 assists. 100-point season in his first. He was a minus 33. No. Although, you know, it was, I think, Crosby's first or second, probably his second, where he had 109 points, I think. So, you know. Yeah, I think his first year he actually had maybe exactly 100. Yeah, and then it was like 109 or something his next. Yeah. So, I mean, the great players can do that. And Lemieux came in with a lot of fanfare. Skinny kid, out of, you know. He was French-Canadian, and he was different. He was the first big player that could really move like that. Like, if you had big players before, you know, no offense to the Phyllis Mazitos, but you usually parked it around the net and had great hands. But there was nobody who could just drive the lane in hockey like that and just go past everybody with that skill, with that size. Yeah, and the thing about it, too, Russ, it was like, so graceful, and it just didn't look like it took any effort. 
No, and I'll tell you, one of the big thrills in my life when I was starting to uh, cover hockey and uh, Mario made his comeback, it was amazing that I was able to cover him at like MSG because I was covering a lot of Ranger games at the time. And it was, it was unreal. It was like, I remember even the people, my other website partner, Doug Cataldo, like I sent him a soundbite of interviewing Mario Lemieux and he was like at work, you know, he was like trying to upload it at that time it was hard to upload audio to websites. You know, we started in 2000 and everybody in the office stopped and they were like, is that Mario Lemieux? He just interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> How is he editing Mario Lemieux? Yeah. He came so close, Russ, in the 88-89 season to getting to that 200-point mark. Oof. 199, 85 goals, 114 assists. Even Gretz is the only one to get to that 200-plus uh, mark. And um, no one will do it again. I feel confident in saying unless they extend the season to like a 150-game season, no one will ever do it again. Yeah, no one's ever going to do that. Uh, no one will ever get to to one forty or one maybe one forty, but maybe one forty. One fifty, I think, is the the stop line. <laughs> yeah. Um, then all said and done for Mario, it's amazing. He didn't even play a thousand games. He played nine hundred and fifteen games, but he did pocket six hundred ninety goals, a thousand thirty three assists, and seventeen hundred and twenty three points, and a plus one fourteen over those nine hundred and fifteen games. We know about the two cups back to back that he got as well. Um, tremendous. He made a lot of guys look good. There were a lot of guys that had 40 goal seasons. Rob Brown. Shouldn't have had, yeah, <laughs> that shouldn't have had him step on Richet near the end. Yeah. Um, but, and Richet was a good player. Don't get me wrong. But, but, but when he was getting them from Mario and, and boy, when Kovalev joined the Penguins, did he turn it on to another level too? The, the other thing about Mario is the great argument is always, Hey, he didn't, you know, per games played, he might be the greatest player ever. I'm sorry that Gretzky is still greater, but. You know, for the games played part because he missed so many and he had the Hodgkins and everything else. Yeah, it's probably true of Mario. Yeah, it's incredible. He was out from uh, the '97 at the after the '97 season and came back in the 2000-2001 season and played 43 games that year. Uh, just a, an amazing career and amazing talent, no doubt about it. Uh, conversely, real quick, Sidney Crosby. He's played 960 games already. Rush, you were uh, you were really close. 102 in his rookie year okay. with 39 goals, and in his second year, 120. 120. And that 120 is his Sid? high mark of his career. Yeah. See, at that 120, it was more about Sid establishing himself as a generational player. Yeah. And then it became about winning cups. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? I, I, I hope people can appreciate him. And again, much like Mario, who he lived in his house for a long time, he, you know, the post concussion was sort of like his reason for missing games. And, you know, other than that, he hasn't had too many other injuries coming back now from the core injury, uh, doing it the right way, by the way, because remember Deshaun Jackson, when he had a car, core injury, decided to rehab it, and then, of course, never came back, although if they'd have made it to, the Eagles would have made it to the second round of the playoffs, they swear he'd have been back, where Crosby instantly goes out when he gets the core injury and comes back in, like, record time. And that's, you know, that's the difference with guys like that, guys like Crosby, yeah. guys like Lemieux. And we're going to talk about Crosby because he's getting set to return, as you mentioned, and the Penguins. But um, some other news to get to. Um, by the way, real quick, we're, we have a bunch of Twitter questions we're going to get to. A lot yeah. of flyer stuff after that horrific road trip. And then oh, yeah. You come home, you get – I don't know how they won the game against Washington. I really don't. Um, and then they lose one nothing to the Lightning, and they're going back at it against Boston tonight. We'll get into the schedule and all that. But I while we're kind explain, of – I can't explain the Washington game down the line here. I can't. Okay. All right. Um, but – uh, before we get to that, let's get to a former Penn's GM who was uh, got his walking papers in New Jersey 
Shiro is out. Ray Shiro out with the New Jersey Devils. They allow him to trade Taylor Hall and the uh, uh, Joshua Harris Wolf Blitzering Company decide to part ways with their GM. And uh, pretty interesting timing and pretty interesting move, I thought, Russ. Well, it's an interesting move. I, I think we all felt, and I know we've talked about it on the show, that this was a year Shiro had to do something, and he definitely would be the guy that would trade Taylor Hall. We knew that. And then I feel like when Josh Harris saw the return for Taylor Hall, he wasn't thrilled. And Why did he sign so, off on it? Then? Well, I mean, what is he going to do? He didn't have anything else, so he signs off on it, and they go for a little while. They actually win a game, and then they fire him, and – the firing was just at an odd time. Uh, it's weird for Fitzgerald because he doesn't have the same kind of gravitas at, as far as making phone calls that Shiro does. Neither does Marty Brodeur. Brodeur's got some front office experience, but like, you know, not like this for wheeling and dealing. And they again have the best defenseman on the market come, come trading deadline is in Sammy Votnin. And they've got to get something for him and Andy Green too. So, this is a key time, and to let Fitzgerald sort of take over as interim with Brodeur kind of, to me, shows how Josh Harris doesn't put his all into the Devils. I hate to say that, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the thing that's interesting, too, for me is, you know, they end up with the number one pick, and they pick Hughes, and mm-hmm. they, they got this foundational, and Nico Heischer, who they extended this year, and gave him a really nice contract. He's played well lately. Um, yes. But when you look at all that, and, and you look at the Devils, I'm going, kind of going like, well, where, where are they going here? You right. know what I mean? Um, they're a team at a very pivotal time in a rebuild. And Shiro's not a guy, Russ, who's going to go in there and be, you know, he's not a jerk. He's a, no. he's a well-respected hockey man. And it leads me to almost believe that something must have happened, some kind of disagreement that they couldn't move forward with. Yeah, I, I'm guessing it, it was the Hall deal and just the return for that and – why is the team bad this year? You told me it was going to be Oh, good. they won the offseason. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, again, nobody knew P.K. Subban wouldn't be P.K. Subban. Now, I think he's playing a little better lately. And like I said before, I believe he'll have a better offseason and come back more like the P.K. Subban. I think he sort of took things for granted. You know, Hughes is playing okay. I don't think he's playing bad. I don't think he's playing great. I think he's just, right now, that's what happens sometimes with rookies in the NHL. Just because he's first overall doesn't make him any different than anybody else. So that's fine. He's here, I believe they had to extend because they needed right now somebody who's the face of the franchise still. And right now he's here is still that guy until he sort of takes that mantle from him if he does. So, so they got that stuff right. They've got Ty Smith coming on defense, but, and I think Blackwood is the goalie. It's just, it's hard to tell when you don't have a great defense in front of him. And but he whenever he has used the term, I think Blackwood's the goalie. That doesn't instill confidence in me. Well, I I mean, you need to know who your next guy is. I mean, I'm not Kevin Woodley, but, you know, I'm pretty good at looking at goalies. And to me, it's hard to tell. Not that he's not good. Look, he's physical. He makes good saves. He's smart. I, I like I've liked him since juniors. The problem I have is he's never really had a good defense in front of him. Yeah, so I would it, like to right. see that Good to be point. able to judge him more. That's all. You, you know, oddly enough, and Kevin would appreciate this, Kevin Woodley, you just had a very Kevin Woodley answer, and you kind of opened my eyes a little bit. You can't evaluate a goalie properly if he's got garbage in front of him, and he's right. had garbage in front of him. So right. as Kevin always says, goaltending does not exist in a vacuum. So it's a good right. point that, that you bring up, Russ, no question about it. Um, okay, 
likely replacements and for Flyer fans, because we have such a, a, a loyal fan base of Flyer fans that listen to this podcast, who are the guys that they could hire and who are the guys that Flyer fans should be scared if they hire? Is Mark Hunter on that list? No, I don't think Hunter is going to be on the list. But at least they said they're going to have a GM search, which at least makes me think Fitzgerald doesn't get the job handed to him. Mm-hmm. So, so that's good. Uh, cause I wasn't sure and, and I, and I knew he would get the job interimly for sure. So that wasn't a surprise either. But, uh, you know, could he go the Brodor route and have Brodor bring in somebody else he likes to? I mean, that is always possible. It's not a, an advisable thing. Could they well, go with Marty? I have some insight on Marty cause I, I, I'm connected with some people from the Sixers who obviously mm-hmm. they proposed it and I've talked to them about Marty. Um, you mentioned Marty right off the hop has some front office experience. That was in St. Louis yes. where he was on the hockey op side. However, in New Jersey where he's returned, he's actually on the business op side. Okay. He's not involved in hockey ops. And, and it's amazing because they said, you know, it's kind of funny. Like he's handling like partnerships and and that kind of stuff. But, and now, he's in, he like, is, though, but now they flipped him back. Yeah. So that may be if you could bring in a really good prospect draft guy with Marty, I could see them doing it. Mm-hmm. But And if you look at Joshua Harris and that group, they did hire Elton Brand, who yeah. had no experience and was the general manager of the 87ers or whatever they're called in the G League. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's something that wouldn't be out of character to see Marty Berger, and we know that he is absolutely beloved in New Jersey. Right. Now, I'll give you, to me, the guy who should be the leader in the clubhouse Ron Hexel. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and I just saw the guy the other last game. He was up in the Flyers suite. He's been hiding in a little bit more plain sight lately. Dean Lombardi. Yeah, I was going to say Dean Lombardi. I saw him the other day, too. If you're thinking, who could I get that maybe has a little more gravitas than Shiro and the experience I need? And you can still keep Rodor there and let Rodor work under him. That's fine. Uh, to me, that would be Dean Lombardi. It'd be a great spot for a guy like Brodor to be an assistant GM under Dean Lombardi. Yes. And that group, and look, Dean's got obviously recent success of building a multi time cup winning team in LA yeah. and a team that contended for, in essence, about eight, nine years. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and he's got a good foundation there. It's a desirable job, I would think, right? It's a desirable job. And if you think about it, Harris has probably seen and maybe even spoken to Lombardi already just from hanging around at Philly in this, as, as part of the Sixers. Yeah. So to me, it's like you've got a guy right there. Like, <laughs> I don't know how much of a search you want to do, but to me, you got a guy right there. Yeah, don't even know that he needs But Hextall should get interviewed. But I think yeah. they need somebody more aggressive. And it's not to say Ron won't be more aggressive his second go-round. I, but I do think that market and the way Harris is thinking – is he's going to want somebody more aggressive than Hextall just in nature. Yeah. As far as a GM, Hextall is a player, very aggressive. Hextall is a GM, not as aggressive as he was as Very a measured. Yeah, he's very yes. measured as a GM. Um, and, and so I kind of put that out. I floated out Hextall's name on Twitter and just like, hey, is that a guy that they could look at? And, you know, some people were, you know, some of the responses were, were pretty interesting. People were like, yeah, if you want them to, you know, to be three years away from being three years and that kind of thing. And that's not he, fair. And guys saying, this one guy said, uh, BS2188 on Twitter says, Hextall won't be getting a GM job anytime soon. He failed miserably. No, he didn't. 
So here was my response, Russ, and tell me if you agree. I said, well, that certainly is not how his tenure is viewed from people around the NHL. That's true. He failed miserably. When you consider he drafted an all-star winger, a potential 30-goal scorer in Travis Konechny, developed him, going to the all-star game this year, mm-hmm. a top-pairing number one D-man in Ivan Provorov, mm-hmm. who will be in a Nars conversation at, at several points in his career, mm-hmm. a franchise goalie in Carter Hart, Still mm-hmm. something to prove to, to really get to that franchise level, but and other good players, high end prospects like Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, and Isaac Ratcliffe, and many others. Travis, Limblom, Travis Sanheim, Travis, yeah, Sanheim. Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers, who they ended up signing, who wasn't drafted, and you know the way he ran his prospects and and draft board with Chris Pryor and Sarge. So yeah, and also the layers of player development. I mean, I'll go back to a story where when they first started measuring guys. Um, Sam Moran was, I walked in really early for Flyers camp because I'm like that because I'm a prospect guy. I'm excited. It's the summer. Like, give me hockey, right? So I walk in there early and I see Sam Moran going up and he's doing that jumping thing where they push over the levers and they measure how high you jump. Yep. And, and so I, I was looking at it and I couldn't tell exactly how high he jumped, but I remember taking a picture and talking to the guy and he goes, yeah, I can't tell you. And I'm like, it's all right. And, and I could tell, you know, kind of what Moran was doing. So I sat and watched a few others. That next summer, all that all that stuff was hidden. We never saw it again. But he kept adding layers of player development. We kept seeing new drills, new skills, new um, filming techniques, new testing. And that was all Hextall. Oh, okay. And he, he doesn't get credit for it, but I watched it happen and – I probably cover more rookie camp than anybody. And so, yeah, I, I saw it. And so I, I give him credit for that, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people, when, when it's all said and done, we're going to have to look back at the Ron Hextall time here in Philadelphia. And um, you got to look at it through a curl lens. He, he was clearly the long play. Yeah. And he wasn't uh, afforded the luxury of going all the way to the end of the long play. Now, but just to be fair, right? organization in a good spot fiscally and yeah. prospect wise okay so like to be fair whether you like what's being done now at the flyers <clears> more <throat> than what, what you did in the hextall era you know hextall had to dig them out of the cap hell he did and now two days ago when i looked at the cap there was fifty-seven thousand free cap space yeah yeah well the, the cap relief didn't last long so fifty-seven thousand, <laughs> like that's that's why players from the AHL keep rotating because yeah. their deals are all slightly different. And, you know, there's a way of saving on the cap each day and because the cap changes daily. And so and I'm not a cap expert. I don't want to be. But I'm just telling you, I know that the cap changes daily. And so that's you're back in that situation. Again, you might feel like you have better players now and a better chance to win. But now when you have to make a trade at the deadline, it gets complicated. Yeah, yeah, and and okay. So let's get. I want to get to one of the Twitter questions that came in, and let's uh, let's dig in on the Flyers right now because it's getting close to that time of year. We're in 2020 now. We're past the midway point of the season. Everybody's played 42, 44, 45 games at least at this point, and a lot of the chatter now is okay. We saw what the Flyers did on that West Coast trip where they really struggled, and going to California isn't what it used to be. No, it's it's more like the Led Zeppelin going to California now, chill and relaxed, <laughs> as opposed to it being utter hell when you had to go face Anaheim, the Kings and the Sharks. Yeah. 
all yeah. three of those teams bottom in the Pacific Division. Um, but a lot of people asking, saying, Philly Sports Pro, what trades could you see happening at the deadline for the Flyers? You know, who, what, what, uh, political gritty tweets in and says, if you could upgrade one of the following needs, which would it be? 3C defense or scoring winger? Um, you know, a lot of people wondering, Russ, what the Flyers can do at the trade deadline. What are the needs at the trade deadline? Well, those three things are the needs. They're not going to get all three, though. With no, with, yeah, no Nolan Patrick, that 3C. Is... I don't think Nolan Patrick's going to come back. I just don't. That's my gut feeling. I don't have any inside information. It's just the way I feel. Is his career in jeopardy? No, I don't think so. I just think at this point, it's almost gotten to the point where you're better off letting him have the year. Um, yep. Look how much better Crosby was when he came back you know, fully rested from those post-concussions. He really hasn't had another issue with it. I don't know if migraines works the same way, but it's your head. So I'm, I'm thinking same situation, longer away from contact, the better you are. So I'm, I'm just thinking it's probably better for him. But I think 3C is the spot you have to fill. And so two things that I've noticed lately. Defense still isn't great. We know that. But mm-hmm. last year... They were a minus 37. They were a plus three this year. So we give Elaine Vigneault a lot of credit for that. You have to. End of the day, they're a better defensive unit without Shane Gossespierre, the version that we know now. And now with him completely out of the lineup, they don't miss him. So when he gets back with his repaired knee, let him play a few games, and he is the guy you have to trade. Like, it's not even a question anymore. I think even Daniel Friedman can come up and fill time Vigneault will just shorten the pairings in-game. That's fine. But I think they can get away with that more than they can get away with uh, holding on to Gossip Spirit, trying to trade something else. And, and even if that were Robert Hogg, Hogg's at least rebounded enough where I'm more comfortable with him now in this system than I am Shane Gossip Spirit. So I would trade Gossip Spirit. Well, the one thing with Hague, too, is this, is he's become – he's taken over the mantle for Andy, Andrew McDonald. As yeah. the whipping boy. Yes. And a lot of times the the narrative about the whipping boy isn't necessarily the truth. Um, is he a great defenseman? No. He's a good physical defenseman. He can hit. And he's not nearly as bad as he is portrayed to be. <laughs> no, he's not. I mean, I think we have to remember it's some guys are always asked to recreate, redefine themselves. Right. And so. When he was drafted, he was an offensive defenseman. He could run the power play well. He was a good skater, and he had a physical edge. Then they asked him to be something else. Now they're asking him to be something else again, where it's essentially like a physical, not a stay-at-home, but a physical defenseman who can move the puck. You know, And that's not what he was sort of born to be. So I think he's doing a better job of it now than he did earlier in the season, and I feel more comfortable with him than I ever did with Andrew McDonald like in his last year or year and a half. Well, the one thing, too, is you're just going to have to make a decision if you decide to move on from Gossip Bear. You're going to have to make the decision to just say, okay, Phil Myers, you're going to pay. We're going to play. We're going to live with some of the That's the what they got to do. Yeah. Yep. That, that's, you just got to make that decision and move forward because this rotation um, hasn't worked for Gossip Bear, hasn't worked for Myers. It's, it's, it's a situation now where, you know, with Gossip Bear out with the injury and the, and the scope surgery, that they can actually stick to that. And I, I think you're right. I think that's the route that they're going to go. I get that Gostas Pear's value is not at an all-time high, but when he had a 65-point season, you weren't going to trade him. So, um, and then couple that with he's not going to get back to that 65-point season. So you got to well, just you got to make the move that's best for the club in the moment. And then if you want to get a depth defenseman, you know, someone like a Michael Stone for some from some team, a guy who you know 
is probably in his last year, but could fill a role and has basically some experience, then you know what? Then at that point, bury Chris Stewart in the, in the AHL. Like, I get he's a good guy in the locker room. He's not playing, and he's costing them against the cap, and they need cap money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the road trip, uh, Russ, was dreadful. Um, they Oof. go to, yeah, I mean, they lose. They get belted in San Jose 6-1. to one. They go to Anaheim. They win in overtime. That was miraculous that they won that game. Yeah. Uh, then they go to L.A. They get belted. Horrible first period. Vegas, they get belted. Horrible first period. Arizona, horrible first period. They lose 6-2. to two. They lose to Carolina and OT and salvage a point. And then they come home on that after a 12-day road trip, and they get the Capitals on that Wednesday night. Now, they were lucky because the Caps played the night before as well, if I recall. Yeah, I think so. And they ended up winning that game 3-2. to two. You said you had a reason why they won that game. And I, I don't know if it has to do with your hashtag of road flyers or not, because you couldn't use it because they weren't on the road. No, it's not the reason. And, and they definitely play better at home. But I was with I, I met up with somebody who covers the Caps. And what they were telling me is that lately the Caps sort of turn it on, turn it off. And, and they did sort of do that in that game. And since the Flyers PK has gotten a little better and the Caps power play looked out of sync, I think that's why they lost. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and you're right. The PK, I mean, obviously you got a shorthanded goal in that game from Kevin Hayes essentially to yes. win it against Washington. And in back-to-back games, two of the best power plays in the NHL, Washington and Tampa, the Flyers goose egg both of those teams, and they yeah. gave them substantial opportunities on the power play. Why has the power play been so good of late? I mean, you can point to Kevin Hayes, and he's a huge mm-hmm. part of it, Russ. Um, but it's also philosophy in the way that they're not letting teams – enter the zone easily, and they're pressuring the puck. Yeah, they're, once you know, it, it, if you enter the, con- the zone comfortably and get set in the power play, it's so much better than if a team is right there sort of trying to disrupt you right off the bat. Because if you can disrupt them right off the bat, sometimes you get that quick clear, and sometimes their power play never gets set. And I think they've, they've gone to that philosophy, and it has worked much better. It's a shame that Hayes is the only guy that's a shorthanded threat on the team. You would think there'd be more, but there's not. But but that part's been going good. The part that gets me is it's like philosophical. So with someone like James Van Riemsdyk, with someone like Jake Voracek, we know these guys train hard in the season, off season. I get it, right? I'm not going to tell you they're not in shape because they are in shape. What I am going to tell you is when do they try and reinvent themselves? When has Jake Voracek ever tried to reinvent himself? And JVR, too, because at this point, they're desperately needed for goal scoring and points. And right now, you know, Voracek's going to get 60 points. That's what it looks like. And for Jake Voracek, that's like, eh, when you know there's more there. I mean, Drew is having an offseason, too, but I'll give him a – I'll cut him a little break because I've seen him go through streaks before, and he's not playing center now. So I think he'll he'll come out of it. But also with Van Riemsdyk. If you want to say he's playing a little better at his own end, that's great. What is he doing differently offensively for me? Because he's becoming an older player, and now I don't even know if he'll ever get 30 goals again. Yeah, and I'm not relying on him to be a great 200-foot player. I need no, him but that to team be... has to rely on him. You may yeah. not think that in your mind, but if they don't get 28 goals out of him this year, they probably don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I, well, I agree with that. I, that that's, I need James Van Riemsdyk to score. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I need him to score. Um, he's got 12 goals now on the season. His shooting percentage is 11.3%. Um, 
I mean, he's got to, he's got to be up right around 13 or 14 percent with his shooting yeah. percentage, and he gets opportunities, but he's just not finishing, especially net front on the power play. But we is saw, that his only opportunity now? Is he just a net front guy? Whatever happened to this guy taking a one timer? He used to have a good one timer. Yeah. Whatever happened to this guy taking like a wrist shot from a hard angle? Like, why is it always just net front that he's looking for? Can you yeah, tell me? Well, well, it's a good question, and you know, the power play is something that's perplexing for the Flyers because. At moments, it looks really good and lethal, but then it seems like it's scrambled up and, you know, Drew's not on the half wall on the left side. And, you know, and they're, they seem to have four of the guys that they want on their power play, but not the fifth. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah. And JVR is the guy that's come in and out of that position as the net front guy. So, well, and the other thing is, so even again the other day, I saw something interesting where like Voracek circled everybody and he sort of came up the ice himself to, to get into the zone to, like, start the power play. And it's like, you know, it, it struck me as weird because, to me, it's like Elaine Vigneault is now trying to come up with ways to make Jake Voracek play better. Right? Have you noticed that? It's oh, like, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he only has eight goals. Like, I don't even know if he's going to get 20 goals. No, at this point, he's certainly not on pace to do that. Um, but it's weird because, and, and maybe that's a, a lot of the fans' frustration sometimes with Voracek, is you know fans love scorers first of all. Um, yeah. Second of all, he shows periods in games or even entire games where he is really dominant with his puck possession ability. Yeah, I mean the other night I thought he was tremendous in the game the other night. I thought he played really well in Carolina. Okay, and, so you want to know what's really sad for me? And look, he was always a pass first guy. I get it. He's always going to have more assists and goals. I mm-hmm. get it. What was more? What what's a bigger drop? in my eyes for him in my eyes is he drew two penalties. I thought that was one of the best games Jake Voracek had all year. And why? Because he, he was moving his feet. <laughs> right. Because he drew two penalties. It should be because he scored two goals though. Yeah. No, you're right. When you're playing a player that kind of money, you're absolutely right. Um, but right now he's got uh, eight goals on the season, 26 assists, which lead the team in 34 points, third on the team in points. You know, it's amazing. I'm looking at, um, the, the kind of the notes for the game tonight against the Bruins. Yeah. And the, the Flyers leading uh, point guy right now, leading scorer, is Travis Konechny with 38, 14 and 24, 14 yeah. goals, 24 assists. Boston's leading point guy is David Pasternak. Pasta's got 65 points, 35 goals. And, and he plays well. Yeah, and he plays well in Philly. He, he plays does. well everywhere right now. No, I know. <laughs> if there's ice, he plays well. I, let me tell you this. If I'm Elaine Vigneault, you do not want this game to go to overtime. You do no. not. They will toast you in overtime. Now, I granted you might get a point, but you've got to try and get the lead in this game, and you can't sit on the lead. Like, this is a game where everybody has to show up, and you'll know if they everybody doesn't show up, Boston will let you know. Oh, yeah. They, they can put you. They can and win. I think even Grizz looks out, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, Mitch tweeted into the, uh, the Stick to Hockey podcast, and he said this, Russ. He said, and I got a thought on this, and you already brought up his name, but he said, who's the single guy who most needs to get it going for the Flyers to start playing more consistent, or is it even fair to me to ask about just one? I have two. Okay. The first guy, when I saw this question from Mitch, and it's a great question, was James Van Riemsdyk. Right. He's the guy to me. Because he can do so much to help the power play be more consistent, and if he's playing well, then the jumbling of the and the juggling of the lines is much less prevalent. Right. 
because when he's not playing well, the line when he and Voracek aren't going, then the lines are getting put into a blender in between every period. Yeah. So that's the one. I mean, that's the guy that really sticks out for me as being that guy who needs to get it going for the Flyers. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he he really does. I mean, it's not even arguable. I don't think. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you have that you would put on that list? Well, I mean, if this was like a month ago, I would have said Travis Sanheim, but lately he's had a nice burst. So I, I think Sanheim is, is starting, he's playing his better hockey. Uh, it's Voracek. I mean, it's unacceptable what Jake Voracek is putting out there. It is completely unacceptable. Yeah. He I may mean, think he's given it his all. He may love the way he skates. He may love the fact, like you said, he's got great zone possession and everything else, but the results, Jake Voracek needs to make some guys better. Like, they have young guys on that roster, and, and again, Joel Farabee should not be there, right? I've been saying it for weeks. It's almost a month. But he's only there because they don't seem to have any other answers, and they like his his play on the PK. Now, it's not great for a rookie to do that because he's probably got the same amount of points we talked about the last time we did a show. Yeah, like three goals and nine assists, yeah. Yeah, this guy's used to scoring. Um, now, if people want to bring up Sean Couturier, it's different, Okay. Because Couturier was a different kind of player anyhow coming out of a junior. Uh, Farabee is not Sean Couturier. Like that's, you know. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, obvious. Couturier in his draft year, if, had he not gotten mono, could have been a number one overall pick. Right. So there's, there's <laughs> he not had really. The body a, already. Yeah. yeah. So there's really no comparison there. So because Laviolette put him in that role and it worked, that's great. Uh, it's not really working for Farabee, but because the team has deficiencies, they're, they're forcing it. But why can't a guy like Voracek make Farabee better? Like, that's my whole thing. Like, why not? If you had them on a line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all said and done, though, Farabee's played 36 games, three goals, nine assists for 12 points. Leads the team in penalty minutes, oddly enough, 35. Um, but which also, is bad. Which is yeah, bad. You don't want that. And obviously the suspension to boot. Um, yeah. But the thing about it is, is even though he probably shouldn't be here right now in an ideal world, um, this him being here, I think, benefits him in the long run. No, I don't, I don't think sending him that. down would really benefit him a whole lot. No, I do. I do. I do think you? it would be Yes, because he'd be on the top power play. He'd have a lot more points. He'd have a lot more scoring. You could have sent him down a month ago. You could have just brought up anybody else. At that point, you could have brought up Albie Cabell, and then when other injuries happen, you bring up somebody else. Now it's Bunneman. But you could have done something else, or you could have just played Chris Stewart. I mean, I don't know why he's on the roster. You can't but, play. That's you can't play him. But okay, so you can't but get it, that, you know? <laughs> okay, and that's fair. So, but at the end of the day, he could have had a good month down there, producing. Yeah. And then you could have gotten maybe a different Farabee coming back up and say, all right, let's take another look at him, like the Rangers did with Heedle, and he would have a lot more confidence. A lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Real quick, too, looking at this schedule that they're mired in right now. So they come off that road trip. They ended in Carolina, playoff team. Right now, um, you look at uh, they come back. They take on Washington. Obviously, they got that win. They took on Tampa Bay. Boy, Tampa Bay is a lot different, Russ, than the Tampa Bay we saw last year. Yeah, they're finally getting it, I think. And they dominated that game. I know, I know. I've seen some Flyers writers say, "Well, the Flyers won the second period or whatever." No, Tampa dominated. Not the second period. Um, maybe the first period because um, Tampa just shut down completely the Flyers' offense from the second period on when they pretty much made them play perfect defensive hockey. And yeah, it was a fluky goal that went in, but they dominated that game. There was yeah, I think really... the Flyers had one good scoring chance. That was the Sandheim one that yes. 
Vasilevsky comes over and flashes the right pad on on the redirect. Yeah. I mean, he covered a couple others, and you know, you can make an argument. Maybe there's three or four, but they were fleeting, man. I mean, yeah. this was a game they just snuffed them out, and this was a game where I thought Braden Coburn was going to fight Travis Konechny, and then Konechny thought better of it because <laughs> I'm pretty sure when Coburn dropped his stick, the next part was going to be drop his gloves because they were jawing pretty good. And I think connecting something clicked like, all right, maybe I shouldn't fight this guy. Not my same size class here with uh, Braden Coburn. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about the Tampa Bay team, too, is y- you see the effect of them getting bounced in four by Columbus last year. Oh, yeah. The coaching message, uh, I talked to Brian Ingram about this uh, in the first intermission the other night. Um, the coaching message is a lot easier to get through for a guy like John Cooper when you've been swept in the first round with those expectations. And last year they just went out. And got away with it and played pond hockey and didn't play defense. They gave up a lot of chances last year, and a team yeah. that goes south on them made them pay in Columbus. And you know, tip of the cap to John Tortorella because he came up with the game plan, and everybody's trying to replicate it. But this team is so stingy defensively now that it's very difficult to get inside and get high quality scoring chances on them. But it took a while. Like they weren't. I don't think they were getting the Cooper message for a long time this year. But the last few weeks. And they're 10 or now 11, no, 10 games because um, yeah. they lost their, they lost, um, the Devils beat them, right? So the Devils yep. killed their streak. Uh, you know, that 10 games, you saw a completely different team. And, and again, I feel like I need to point out one of the best skaters on the ice in that game was Steven Stamkos. And he's got more than a point a game, but I don't even think he gets recognized <laughs> as being one of the better players in the league anymore because he has Kucherov on the team. I think yeah. people forget about how good Steven Stamkos is and still is. Yeah, you look at Braden Point, too. He's another great player for that yes. team. He's going to be for a long time. Um, so they're mired in this stretch of schedule where they had that Washington game, the Tampa Bay game, to Tampa Bay playing the best in the, in the NHL at the time. Then tonight they get the Boston Bruins, top team in the Atlantic Division. Then they head to St. Louis to take on the Cup Champs on Wednesday night and a back-to-back where you get Montreal, who finally – Ended their eight-game losing streak, and Ilya Kovalchuk to the rescue. But boy, the schedule just doesn't get any easier. No, no. I mean, I don't. Yeah, Ilya Kovalchuk. It took him four games to get a goal to rescue him. He was getting assists before then. Like I, if he doesn't have like ten goals in like inside of a month, it, to me, it's not even worth it. Yeah, yeah. I know. He, he, I think he's taking healthy. Yeah, he ends up back down. They send him down, but they he doesn't go back down. Right. Um, then they'll get uh, Los Angeles on Saturday. That's a revenge game for the Flyers. Then a home-and-home with Pittsburgh on a Tuesday, Friday. Oof. But th- th- okay, so let's talk about Pittsburgh real quick. Can <laughs> Sullivan's uh, got to be uh, a top-three coach for the Jack Adams right now in Coach yes. of the To lose Crosby for that long and lose Gensel and lost Malkin at points, and Murray hasn't been all-world Murray, but Jari comes in and plays great. He's an all-star. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at this, right? This is one of the—it's a tremendous coaching job that's been done there. They're now in second place in the Metropolitan Division with that win yesterday. They got 59 points, 27, 12, and five, and a plus 31, seven, two, and one in their last ten. They now jumped over the Islanders by two points, and they've only played 44 games. I mean, look—they signed John Marino. He's a hell of a college player, and now he's a hell of an NHL player. I, I watched him for at least three years, and you know, this is—they've added. The right guys, you know, they got Galchenyuk. He may not be scoring buckets, but he's another good skater. But well, he's this about team, to be great until Gensel went down. Right. And But they have him. That's the point. And now he can yeah. play a more prominent role. Uh, 
Jared McCann, I loved in the draft. If people go back and look at my list, I had him in like the 20s in the first round. I felt like he was always a first-round talent. He's got 13 goals now. So, you know, Rutherford has made some really good moves. Marcus Pedersen, I really always, always liked him as a defenseman, and he's done a hell of a job. Schultz has been, you know, in and out, up and down, but Schultz in the playoffs is great. So you just have to get to the playoffs for that guy. This team is a cup contender. This team is no longer like the the Pittsburgh Penguins, like, yeah, they're just getting by. Yeah, their defense stinks. You know, maybe they got, they got another push at it. You're right. They have another push at it, and yeah. that's why I kept telling people they're not trading Jerry this year. They might trade him next year or Murray, one of them, because they don't want one of them going to Seattle. But right now, they're making the run with these guys. And we talked about it. When we were talking about top tandems, we mentioned these guys. And now having this top tandem, getting Crosby back healthy, so they still have Crosby and Malkin. Losing Gensel's tough, but Brian Rust has more than made up for it. And he should be an all-star, and he's not. You look at all that, and you say, they're still going to do something at the deadline. And they have more cap space, by the way, than the Flyers. Yeah, it's, and, 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 and Rutherford's going to make stuff happen. He's the guy that likes to get in early, too. Right, and that should rub Flyers fans the wrong way. And I said it that way on purpose because a year ago, it looked the other way. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Yeah. Um, so I'm on TSN, and one of the teams that we just talked about that the Flyers have faced on Thursday is Montreal and just ended that losing streak. And I see that they TSN did a, a whole kind of thing on, is it time to move on from Carey Price? Now, I look at this and I go, okay, like, first of all, how can you when you consider the contract, right? I mean, who can fit that kind of contract into their into their situation right now and their salary cap, A, and going forward? Seattle. Yeah. yeah. Is he going to sit around for that many years? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, his um, cap hit, Carey Price, is through the roof. I mean, he signed an eight-year contract. His cap hit is $10.5 million, and he signed all the way up through 2025-26. He's 32 years old. He's got a 908 save percentage this year. Um, he's not having a great year. He has not been the carry price that's been able to bail out so many teams over so many years. Well, he did look really good early on, so this is maybe going to be an off year for him. Last year, he was fine. Uh, go look at great goalies. They've had ups and downs. It's normal. Yeah. Well, look at Bobrovsky trying to adjust to a new system down there as yes. well. Um, but it brings me to the point, and one you just alluded to, regarding Tristan Jari and Matt Murray, and the need in today's NHL to, to, to spend that kind of money, upwards of $8 million on one goaltender, is foolish to me. I mean, you now just it can't, is, but then can't it do it. I yeah. I, I think even when you signed Carey Price, it was. I don't know that you had a choice, though. I mean, that new contract didn't click in until he was 31 years old. So what they're going to have to do to make this next push, and they do have good young players coming. Look, Paling's been a little bit of a surprise that he hasn't been scoring, but maybe there's lingering effects of, from that concussion, right? So Nick Suzuki's been great. Uh, Domi's been really good. Like, they, they still have an assemblance there. Their defense is a little better. They're not going to make it this year. But if they get something for Caden Primo, they might. And they're probably going to have to trade Caden Primo simply because he's not going to sit around and be a backup forever and because of that price contract. So they're probably going to have to do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting when you look at the save percentage leaders in the league. Like if I look at, uh, look in the 30s, Carey Price is 37th in the NHL, tied with Bernier, 
and yeah. Jack Campbell with 904, right? You yeah. look at Lundquist is at a 907, as is Marc-Andre Fleury. John Gibson's at 905. Now, he's in a tough situation out there, obviously, in Anaheim. You look at uh, when you get into the top 15, finally you start to see names like 16 is Jordan Bennington at 917. Okay, um, so let's stop there. So Gibson, to me, is actually better than Bennington, but his defense is crap. Yep, Lundquist totally agree. is not as good as the other two, but better than he is, but his defense is not great. It's yep. really inconsistent. So now we're also talking about the better defensive teams when we're getting into these numbers with goalies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and if you go on um, CSAHockey.com and you look at the, the numbers from Steve Valiquette and ClearSight Analytics, yeah, uh, you, can, you can see exactly that. You see the teams that uh, – the good defensive teams. Because, like, look, two of the guys in the top ten, they come from the same team, and that would be the Dallas Stars. So you look at Hudobin, who's got a 932 save percentage. You look at Ben Bishop, a yeah. 928 save percentage. Is that an accident? No. Look at Arizona. Kemper, 929. Yeah. You know, good defensive team. You look at a team like Boston. You got both Rask at 925 and Halak at 923. Halak couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line on the island right. under Doug Waite. But why was that? Well, right. Rice couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line with Doug Wade either. That's defensive system play right there. Yeah. And, like, Rice right now has got a 919. Robin Leonard yep. last year w- was tremendous. By the way, Leonard's having a good year as well in, in oh, yeah. Chicago with a 923. Um, and that's amazing because their defense stinks. He single-handedly won them the game the other night with 42 saves on 43 shots. Yeah. He was tr- tremendous. Um uh, but you you look at a, a guy like Connor Hellebuck, who's got a 920, although he's gotten touched up a little bit lately. But how about a guy like Cam Talbot? He's been pretty good lately. That's the guy I meant to say won the game for Calgary the other night, 42 saves, oh, okay. 42 yeah. shots. Uh, sorry, I got to jump ahead of myself there. But he's been good. James Reimer's been good in Carolina. Yeah, I don't, we're all waiting for the bottom to fall out of that one, let's be fair. But he has been. <laughs> yeah, I am as well. So I agree with you on Reimer. Um, so... But but the point is is that you need two goaltenders in today's league to to, set, to, to kind of with all the back to backs and, and the wear and tear. I just don't know how you can survive paying a guy ten and a half million dollars like Carey Price, which is why I would not have paid Sergei Bobrovsky the kind of money. No, I told you I wouldn't have either, but they did, and you know here we are. But they still might make the playoffs. But, you know the way the playoffs look is there looks like there's four teams for the two playoff spots. Mm-hmm. And, and so the Flyers are going to be in that mix. And still, Florida could jump up and grab a spot in the Atlantic, and the Leafs could end up being a wild card. So yeah. that's what makes that more complicated. And, and that's why I felt like the Atlantic was going to end up probably better this year. You could see it after a few months than, than the Metro. Yeah. So it's going to be tough, and Columbus is in the thick of it. Columbus could be the really surprised team here because as long as they're hanging around, that's a team that can make two or three moves and take on big money, and it doesn't matter. They have the space. Yep, you're absolutely right. And John Tortorella's got that team. He's got a rallying cry. Yep. Everybody counted us out, and you know a guy like Torts, he loves that. Oh, he loves that. Um, Although okay. I'm getting a little sick of that in sports. Like, every team can come up with that same thing. Well, when they all said we weren't going to do it, and they all counted us out. Like, even the Patriots tried that this year. I am so sick of that in sports. Stop using that. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, you're right. It's it's what they need to do to motivate themselves, and perhaps they shouldn't do it in front of a microphone right. <laughs> when you're making millions of dollars. Um, i got to ask you about the Kachuk-Cashian situation 
from the oh. Battle of Alberta the other night. And what Cassian had to say after the game, calling him basically a punk and the P word. Uh, what do you think of that narrative? Well, I mean, the Kachuk hit is a really dangerous hit. Upshaw's right. When you are trying to do a wraparound and you hit a guy in the head, that's one thing. So nothing's called there. So then, of course, it escalates from there, right? And so this is where players always tell us if the refs don't handle it, they will police themselves. And sometimes it's not pretty. And they, that's what happened. Yeah. It, it, I don't like the, I don't like the hit either. No. And I don't, and Kachuk there should be a suspension. Is, should have to answer for himself. Well, he is, there is a meeting today, right? So, yeah. So there should be something that comes out of that. But, you know, don't be shocked if it's just a fine. Yeah. I imagine that is what's going to come out of it. Just a fine and yeah. no further, uh, repercussions for Kachuk or Cassian. So, all right, Russ, that's a, that's a wrap on episode 66. So we'll crank up another one later in the week. Everybody enjoy your hockey. That's episode 66 of the Stick to Hockey Podcast. Oh.